this is Michelle Sherman, president of Mishorex Pharmacist Consulting Services and the host of the Conscious Pharmacist podcast. As far back as I can remember growing up in South Africa, one thing was always obvious to me. It was something that emanated from my soul, if you will. It was the knowing that all human beings are created equal, that we are all the same. The Conscious Pharmacist podcast is proud to be a podcast on the Pharmacy Podcast Network and is a show for pharmacist healthcare providers who have answered the call to practicing on purpose. Being conscious brings to light disparities and injustices in our society and healthcare system. Our show strives to bring to the forefront these issues we face today in a changing healthcare landscape and how we can change lives one patient at a time. As pharmacists, we do what matters, how we practice what matters, and how we take care of patients matters. Be conscious, speak out, every voice matters. Be the change you wish to see in the world. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. According to American Association for Cancer Research, 80 to 90% of the administered dose of the cancer medication of 5-fluorouracil, or 5-FU for short, is degraded by the enzyme dihydropyridine dehydrogenase, or DPD. Um, 5-FU is very potent chemotherapy drug used to treat different types of cancer. So what DPD does is breaks down the uh, fluoropyridine medications such as, such as capsidabine or 5-FU, so it doesn't build up in the body. So if a patient has a DPD deficiency, severe toxicity can happen with just a standard dose of the fluoropyridine chemotherapy. And according to Institute of Safe Medication Practice, the incidence of DPD deficiency is very low, like one to 7% of the population, but the consequence can be unfortunately fatal for those few. Hi everyone, my name is Banas Sarami, the host for PGX for Pharmacists podcast on the most amazing largest pharmacy podcast in the nation and one of the top 20 podcasts in genomics globally. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm the MSL to PGX company called ID Genetics, where I create clinical contents, educating clinicians on the value of PGX and help interpret the report. I'm also a PGX coach, helping pharmacists start up their consulting career. I have with me a special guest, Christina Del Soldato, who I'm grateful she has come on the show to share her story of her mother who had cancer, went through chemotherapy, and found that was DPD deficient. Christina, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing such personal and unfortunately tragic story of what your mom and your family went through. Uh, I appreciate you being here with me today. Thank you so much, Bernard. I appreciate you having me. 
Before we dive into the story, I have a surprise for you, Christina, and I want you and uh, our listeners to know that Pharmazam is dedicating a test kit for Christina as sponsorship for this episode. Thank you, Pharmazam. A test kit. That's exciting. Thank you so much. That's amazing. Thank you, Pharmazam. Yo, so um, I, again, I appreciate you coming on the show. Can you uh, tell us a little bit um, about yourself, of course, um, and then how it all started with your mom and finding out she had cancer and what was done? Sure, absolutely. So my name is Christina and thank you, Benaz, for introducing me. Um, I'm a mother of three and a wife and live in Connecticut. Um, my 68-year-old mother uh, was diagnosed in September of 2020 uh, with stage four pancreatic cancer. She was experiencing some lower back pain and um, you know, went through multiple tests and they finally had diagnosed her in September with, with, with that. Um, from there, you know, it was obviously a shock because my mom was in, you know, she had the traditional, you know, arthritis and, you know, little aches and pains, but she was a thriving, um, you know, grandmother and mother and woman. And she was, uh, she had more energy than me. <laughs> so um, it was a surprise. And, you know, we, we immediately saw some doctors, uh, local doctors, um, who, you know, made a plan for her, but I wanted to go to a more, um, you know, I wanted to, I, I dove deeper and tried to find the best hospital possible for her. So we went ahead and saw another physician, um, who specialized in her type of cancer and fast forward a bit. Um, you know, we had her first, you know, we, we went through, you know, obviously different, um, appointments with the doctor and different, um, options. So, you know, there was the, um, there was the studies that she could have gone through, um, but we were highly uh, discouraged to do that because of the timing. There was like testing that needed to be done prior to genetic testing that needed to be done prior to um, going through the the trials. Um, and the doctor didn't think that that would make sense for my mother. Um, she wanted to get her going quickly. Um, so she suggested that we go ahead and go with the 5-FU um, chemotherapy. And we began that. Um, and her first and only dose was on September 28th of 2020. Um, she received that chemotherapy that day. Um, I'm not really sure what other um, medicines particularly were given to her that day as well. But uh, two days later, on the 30th, we went back to have the, the, the chemo pump removed. Um, she was rapidly declining. I mean, day even on day two and uh, uh, on the 30th, she was violently ill. Um, I was very concerned. And, you know, I mentioned that to, to the nurses there when we had the pump removed. Um, and they just kind of said that she was going to make a turn for the better within a few days. This, this is normal. Um, and again, when I say violently ill, I mean, she was experiencing uh, vomiting, fever, diarrhea, had me in a hadn't eaten anything, um, rash in her, on her face, uh, just basically bed, bedridden. Um, so the following day, three days after her initial chemo, uh, I took her back to the, to the doctor, um, because again, she was so severe, uh, and they gave her some hydration, some fluids, um, some hydration, and they gave her pain medicine and uh, anti-nausea meds. Uh, two days later, she ended up in a local hospital here, uh, where we are, and uh, they kept her overnight. Um, they even 
did a brain scan on her because of her severe um, confusion. Uh, she was experiencing a, a, a lot of like um, a lot of confusion, and she was delirious. Um, and they found nothing wrong with her brain, but they said, you know, they discharged her the following day, which is Sunday. Um, the 4th of October and stated that she really needed to be seen by her specialist um, because there was nothing more that they can do for her. They really didn't know what was going on. Um, but they did say, you know, it wasn't, you know, that she had her chemo. There's a lot of, you know, things that happen after chemo, but this was pretty severe. So fast forward to the following day, Monday, October 5th, um, I had her admitted to the main hospital that she was being treated at. And without going into further details there, um, she had severe mucositis um, that, that began, and that was a, a main concern for her discomfort at that time. She was able to talk to me and have conversations and walk, and she was really, she was really herself for the most part, besides all of the other, you know, the vomiting and you know, uh, the severe mucositis, she was still, you know, had her full head of hair, she was fully functioning and be her witty self. Um, that night, unfortunately, I had to leave. Obviously, we all experienced a lot with this COVID-19. So I wasn't able to stay with her. Um, so I left her there that night, October 5th. And um, from then on, her white blood cell count and other labs declined quickly. So um, I didn't hear much from her doctors. I was trying to be in touch with them throughout the next couple of days. Unfortunately, I couldn't be there every day. Um, and, you know, I was trying my best to obviously stay in communication with them to figure out what's going on. And they just kept telling me, you know, one day at a time, they said, you know, this is unfortunately sometimes a reaction that they have to chemo. Um, finally, oct on Friday, October 9th, um, I went back to see her and she was a completely different person. Um, she was completely medicated, staring at a wall and barely able to communicate and blank. And she was also losing some hair. Um, I was in complete shock, to be honest with you. Um, I became really upset and obviously, you know, had to go outside in the hallway and, you know, had to speak to the doctors on site there. And they just kept telling me one day at a time. They also mentioned that day on October 9th um, about me signing some paperwork to get a test done for a DPD enzyme deficiency that they suspected she might be deficient in. I calmly said that if she's deficient in this, then that means that her body can't fight the chemo out. And we, or excuse me, they, and they said that basically that means that she can't fight the chemo out and that we'd have to just adjust the future chemo plans. They made it seem like this was kind of like a standard um, and something that happened common, you know, was a common occurrence that, you know, they would just simply readjust her chemo treatment for the next, for the next tra treatment and that they would, she wouldn't have the 5-FU. So at that point, uh, her white blood cell count was all the way down to a point two, and her uh, mucositis was so severe, her esophagus, her GI tract, the chemo was really wreaking havoc on her body and she, she couldn't fight it out. So a couple of days go by and I was able to talk to my mom on and off. She'd have, you know, one day she would sound okay. And or, or one moment she would sound okay. And a couple hours later, she'd sound totally out of it. Um, I was researching endlessly over late nights and I came across um, a story 
um, on sh- a strongmom.org about a woman who was young, um, a mother who experienced this toxicity, and that they did get the drug Vistagard. So I quickly researched that. Um, and what Vistagard is, is an antidote to treat patients with full or partial DPD enzyme deficiency. Um, it's supposed to be given within 96 hours of the toxicity of the 5-FU being um, administrated, but we were far fast this, uh, past this point. Um, and uh, I just want to mention, too, the survival rate at 30 days after the Vistagard is, is given um, is 96%. Whereas uh, versus supportive care, which my mother my mother was at at this point, uh, was 16% at 30 days for survival rate. Um, the cost of Vistagard um, is approximately 80 to 85 thousand um, dollars. So just wanted to mention that just so everybody has an idea of what exactly Vistagard is. Um, so at this point, we were far past you know the 96 hour window, um, and I was kind of losing my mind. <laughs> and I was leaving multiple messages for um, the doctor via the portal, um, asking a couple of questions in ways that I can get her white blood cell count up and what we can do to help this toxicity. So I had asked, you know, why wasn't the DBD enzyme test done prior to the chemo? And I asked if my mom could be given B12 um, vitamin C in extreme high doses, selenium for assistance to exhaust more options for increasing her white blood cell count and her neutrophils. And I also asked at that point, why hadn't she been given TPN? Um, Because she hadn't eaten anything um, at this point, uh, October 14th. She had not eaten since September 28th, not anything, because she it it wasn't possible um, with her mucositis. So I said all of these, the symptoms that she's experiencing with her neutrophils and her white blood cell count and everything else um, are symptoms of exactly the deficiency that they sent the test for that I signed off on on October 9th. So they said it was going to take up to 10 days to get those results. However, I didn't want to wait with the strong assumption that this is truly what she was experiencing. And I, I... I show up at the hospital on um, that day, on Wednesday the, the 14th, and I, I asked for the drug Vistagard. I said I had researched this and that I really, really would like to try this as um, a last option because on the day of October 14th, Wednesday, the doctors were in disbelief of my mother's position in her state. Um, she didn't even know I was there. She couldn't even open her eyes. And honestly, they told me that they did not think that she was even going to make it past that night. So I, um, I had to fight, uh, for the Vistagard. Um, the, the doctor was very, um, hesitant due to efficacy issues. And they said that, um, they've only ever ordered that drug, um, I guess one time in their history, so after hours and hours, um, I was relieved because I finally got a call from the doctor saying that she would give it a try. And she wasn't sure if it was going to be delivered that night or the next morning, but they would they would get they put an order in to get it received as soon as possible. The Vista Guard arrived Wednesday into Thursday at 1230 a.m. And so the first dose was provided to her overnight 
Um, so the following day, Thursday, the 15th of October, when I arrived at the hospital that morning, my mother was sitting up and she was even trying to put a fork to her mouth, um, which was completely shocking to me because, again, given the condition she was in the night before, the day before, um, they were telling me that they didn't think that she was even going to make it. So I was extremely relieved. Um, she was even, you know, she was eat, she ate a little bit of applesauce with the Vistagard, which is how it should be uh, should have been distributed. And she even took a couple of sips of a drink for me. Um, her mouth was slowly getting better. Friday, uh, the following day, she um, she was improving. Her white blood cell count improved a little bit more, and each each day, her blood count was going up a little bit, but. The problem was that I noticed was that the Vistagard was not being given properly. Um, the pharmacist had prescribed it for um, <sighs> twice a day for 10 days. And um, the directions right on the packet for the Vistagard drug uh, say that it should be four times a day for five days. And again, this is a sense of urgency because it is an antidote even though, yes, we were outside of the window of the 96 hours, you know, again, the reason why I had asked for it was because I did read studies that there were, you know, one in five survivors if it was given outside of that 96 hour window. Um, so I just thought, why not give this, you know, a try? So I had to, um, I had to direct them or ask them to please change the prescription to do the proper four times a day for the five days at that point. Um, so she wasn't getting the proper dosage over the first day or two. Um, but again, she was slowly getting a little bit better. Um, then she kind of hit a, a, a not so great moment where she was having trouble getting it down. And, you know, the nurses, I would arrive and they'd say, oh, she didn't get that dose or, oh, we weren't able to get it down because, you know, again, the mucositis was bad again. So, um, and she would only really take it from me, but it was very challenging to be there all the time because of COVID. So fast forward a bit, I, you know, kind of, uh, I was there every day um, and I would give her whatever amounts that she would take um, from me. And day by day, you know, slowly, slowly, her, her white blood cell count um, was increasing. Um, but it was a, it was a lot. Uh, she was going up and down just, and it, we even tried at one point an NG tube um, just to get the medicine down. Um, but it, it was quite challenging. Um, so her mucositis hadn't completely healed. Um, it was really quite bad still. Um, and I had done hours of research more and more, just trying to do anything that I could possibly do to try to just get her into a better state. Um, I had reached out to, um, a gentleman who, um, Dr. Sigmund, who had done a testing, uh, called photobiomodulation or PBM or low level laser therapy. And that they had done something in Massachusetts uh, for a COVID-19 patient who was experiencing severe, um, obviously, uh, pain and inflammation, and that there had been studies done that it had helped heal mucositis as well. So I even reached out to this gentleman, and unfortunately, he was in, in the. He said that these tests, uh, or excuse me, these therapies, the uh, low-level or, or 
low-level laser therapy or the photobiomodulation or PBM, it wasn't available in the U.S., unfortunately. They had just done a test at that point. Um, so unfortunately, that wasn't an option. So at this point, my mother was still in severe neutropenic. Um, she had encephalopathy. We still had not received the results um, for the GPD enzyme deficiency um, until about, I think, about 10 days later, we finally got the results and she was confirmed that she was partially deficient. Um, so it was quite a ride there. Um, at this point, uh, let's see, um, you know, her lab tests were, were getting better and better slowly. Um, and I do believe that it was a result from the Vistagard, even just the, the amounts that she was getting. I do feel like that is the only thing that helped turn her around. Um, you know, I had asked even about um, things that I had read about toxicity. You know, if her if her thymine, I, I might not be pronouncing it properly, or her uracil blood blood reading prior to chemo, I wanted to see if those were high because. What I had read was that, you know, that can also be a problem with chemotherapy. So there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of research that I think um, patients and their families need to do prior to administering any sort of chemotherapy into, in, into their bodies, because there's, there's just so many factors and, it, and it's quite scary. Um, you know, I read um, reports that, you know, even um, there can even be dosing um, thanks to PGX folks like yourself. Um, uh, I read that if screening is done uh, prior, you know, there could be um, lower dosing options of 5-FU based off of the testing done on partially deficient patients and they can handle the chemo at that lower dose. It won't put them into full toxicity. So I thought that was um, super interesting. Yeah, because um, you you can on some occasions, maybe not every occasion, but some occasions you can actually compensate for that deficiency, depending on what medication it is. But um, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I know you have all the days and the times even down, which is um, you know surprising to me because I wouldn't have remembered, uh, but I'm, I'm assuming because it was obviously very tragic and you have a lot of that information. You're very well versed and read in a lot of these clinical information that you actually taught me some of the things as well. So um, I know it's not easy, but uh, here's one thing I did find out that European Medicine Agency, the French Regulatory Agency, and the Medicine and Healthcare Product Regulatory Agency in UK all have some guide guidelines for preemptive DPV testing, meaning ahead of time for patients who are uh, going to be undergoing chemotherapy, like the furoperidine types of medications, like the 5-FU. But in the US, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network has not recommended and doesn't have a standard of care. So because patients filing a lot of uh, petition with the FDA, now there's actually labeling added to warn of such deficiency. But again, there's no screening requirement. I'm assuming one of the reasons, like we talked about earlier, that the percentage of people being deficient in DPD is very low. So it doesn't make any cost um, uh, benefit for, I guess, insurance or what whatnot. So, I mean, it, but, you know, 
it's still sad for the one to seven percent because they still exist. So how, how do you feel about that? Like, was the test affordable for your family? I know when you talked about Vistagard, that was expensive as well. So um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Right. So I, I wasn't ever, you know, obviously provided with any cost of screening per se. Um, all I know is that, you know, obviously insurance companies might not cover the cost of the genetic testing. Um, however, if, if, if families um, and folks are even, um, you know, educated or know that it's an option, um, I feel like the, the, you know, the cost effectiveness of the screening prior to therapy combined with either, you know, preemptive dose reductions um, or whatever is a, is a cost effective option compared to no screening given the severe toxicity um, and the fact that, you know, um, the, the Vistagard drug alone um, is, you know, 80 to $85,000, which again, I don't know those numbers because my, you know, my mother's insurance, I, I didn't, I wasn't even, I didn't even think about any of that. And I never really saw anything after that. So, um, but all I do know is that uh, that drug was extremely expensive. Um, and also, you know, the supportive care alone, she was in the hospital there for 30 days, um, experiencing absolutely horrendous things, you know, I mean, she was, she was provided, she was given, you know, major, 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 major pain medications, uh, uh, fentanyl, Haldol for her, for her encephalopathy. Um, I was seeing a psychologist there at one point or psychiatrist, um, who I had to go over the medications that she was being provided because I, I had to, I had to, um, ask them to please, uh, stop administering certain things or start lowering certain things as she was continuing to get better. Um, I mean, I was, I, the amount of research and, um, and communications that I had to have with the doctors and the team there, um, was, it was, it was a lot. Um, I mean, I was, I was, I basically in general, from what I had have researched, it should take about 48 to 72 hours for a body to break down and get rid of the chemo drugs. And her, her lab tests, I was able to see those in the portal, which I was waking up every morning to look at her lab results that I did not know what I was looking at. Um, but it was very clear to see that in her blood work, it showed specifically that she had toxic granulation and platelets. And that was before even the DPD um, enzyme deficiency was even brought up to me on the 9th. Um, so, but what I've read is that, and hopefully interpreted properly, that the body needs neutrophils in order to release the toxic contents, which is called the degranulation. And why wasn't that recognized before, you know, before that DPD enzyme test even was mentioned to me on October 9th? I just don't understand why, uh, you know, days before within that window, well, we were still outside of the 96 hour window, but it would have been closer. So I just wish that something could have been done sooner um, to delay the, you know, it getting worse and worse and worse for my mother. Um, but regards to cost effectiveness, I mean, there's red flags and then there's expected reactions. And my mom was everything under the red flag for, for toxicity. So, and that's right on the Vistagard website, you know, that you could see, you know, what to expect after, after chemo and what are the red flags, which is within four days after the treatment. Yeah, that, that's a lot of research you've done and information. I, I don't even know if you have a, any clinical background or not, but a lot of people don't, like you said, you don't even know how to read the report, even if they're looking at it. So 
Um, again, I'm, it's just really tragic to hear your story, but what, you know, what message do you have for people uh, that are hearing you or what advice do you have for families that are maybe going through cancer or is going to be starting chemotherapy? Yeah, I mean, my advice would really just be that you, you absolutely have to do your research before any anything above all else. Um, I know there's trusted doctors and clinicians and pharmacists out there, but it's very important to do your own research, read the articles. There's so many trials that have been done and so many, so many positive results even, you know, um, that it could just take just reading one article where you could see, you know, that even this Vistagard um, in particular, even if it was given out, there was testing done specifically for folks that hadn't had it within the proper window and that there was one in five survivors. So that led me to, to beg and plead for this. Um, so definitely just do your research, read as much as you can. And, um, you know, something that unfortunately I live with every day is my mom was scared to do the chemo, you know, and I was I was scared for her to do the chemo and, you know, we were going back and forth about it. You know, she wasn't sure one day she wanted to fight the other day. She would say, I'm just going to live until I live. And that was the type of person my mom was. She was extremely lively and she was herself before this chemo treatment. And unfortunately they said, you know, that this chemo was going to bring her quality of life, more quality of life even. But unfortunately it, it took her life completely out. I mean, um, something I'd like to mention too, is when I finally got her out of the hospital, you know, I was able to get her to a local hospital again here where they were able to put a stent in her, um, to uh, stop the blockage that was causing high levels of ammonia at that point. So she had severe jaundice and, uh, they were able to help her there, which is something that, that she was able to then eat a slice or a bite of food after I got her out of that hospital um, five days later. So she was able to have a little bit more quality of life. Her mouth was better. She was able to to talk again and to be with her family again. Um, you know, and and that was in November. Um, and uh, she was never able to walk again, really. Um, she was not able to, uh, unfortunately they catheterized her at the, at the, at the first hospital and, uh, they shouldn't have catheterized her because she was, she was able to, she was able to do things on her own at that point, but they did. Um, and you know, unfortunately we lost her on Christmas of 2020, but she did at least have the opportunity, um, to say, to see her family again outside of that first hospital visit. I know this is very difficult for you, but you have no idea how grateful and appreciate you coming on and sharing your story so others can learn. And you've taught me a couple of things. You've done a lot of research and um, I just want listeners out there to, um, again, like, like they've heard your story, but maybe if you're okay with that, they can reach out to you if they were going through something like this, or, you know, want to share their personal experience and kind of, um, go through that with you, if that's okay, how, um, can listeners reach out to you if you're okay with that? Yeah, I would, I would love that. That's honestly really all I want. And that's all I said after my mother passed is that I just really want 
to get the word out as much as possible. So I'm so happy that I was able to find you. Um, and I appreciate you allowing me to tell our story. Um, but I can be reached at my, at my cell phone or I can provide my email as well. Okay. Well, it's, it's up to you. you. Can maybe email will be better so you don't get bombarded with all these um, messages that people will call you because um, sure. the point is just, you know, get the word out there and, you know, maybe share experiences. But yeah, if you um, want to provide Absolutely. the email and then we can put it also in the show notes where others can see if they're uh, driving and listening to you, they can write it down. Sure, absolutely. Um, so the email is C as in cat, D as in dog, E as in elephant, L as in Larry, S as in Sam, O, L as in Larry. The number is 1321 at gmail.com. And I can also be reached on LinkedIn as well. Christina Del Soldado. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Um, there is a DPD Deficiency Foundation that is a nonprofit organization founded in 2012 that also brings awareness to this topic and supports families, just dpddeficiency.com. I hope you, um, Christina, I hope you continue to share your story so others are aware and also know what to do in case something um like this happens to them. And thank you, Pharmazam, again, for being a sponsor of this episode. If you want to learn more about Pharmazam and the app that makes their PGX test more understandable, visit Pharmazam.com and it'll be um, also on the show notes. Thank you again, Christina. Uh, and thank you everybody for tuning in and make sure you do not miss any episodes. Don't forget to share this link so everyone can tune in and listen to PGX for Pharmacists podcast on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. There's no other place to go for all your PGX needs. We do a lot of PGXing on here. Thank you. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit PGX4RX.com. That's PGX4RX.com.